Welcome to Africa on Focus, where we share our success stories. Africa, the continent, the young diaspora, entrepreneurs, influencers, change makers, and so much more. I'm Miss Abba, and this is Africa on Focus, the podcast. President of the Migrant Health Section of the European Public Health Association, a scientific chair of the Global Society of Migration, Ethnicity, Race, and Health, and a fellow of the prestigious European Research Council, also known as ERC, under the Consolidation Award Program. Um, some of the countless research that he's, did, that he's done focuses on ethnic inequalities in health. Uh, we're going to find out also what that means, you know, according to his uh, research and NCDs in low and middle income countries. He has published over 300 published uh, papers and edited several books. I can go on and on uh, uh, about his achievements and of course his contribution uh, to Africans as a whole. Let me just welcome him so that we get the conversation going and uh, ensure that before 9 9 p.m. we wrap this up. Uh, Let's go. (laughs) Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for such a wonderful um, introduction. Of course, it is it is yeah. well suited for uh, someone like you who is, uh, let me just say, quite in the underground. We we young people call it uh, that. So many major achievements, um, and and one who is just doing his thing. Let me just <laughs> put it put it that way. And uh, also, of course, one that I feel young people should know more of, uh, and that's why uh, one of the, one of the many reasons we have you on here. We would like to know how are you doing on this Sunday, Um, and of course, you know where uh, where are you in your usual routine? Where are you in this phase of your life uh, at the moment? Yeah, thank you so much. This is truly a pleasure to have opportunity to talk to you um, and to listen to you. Um, Yeah, currently I'm I'm just um, at home um, in the Netherlands. Um, So uh, yeah, Um, so I'm actually sitting in my um, uh, working room, <laughs> as you can yeah. see. Um, yeah. Trying to keep a little more green to keep me going, to keep me I sane. I can see that. Absolutely. <laughs> it gives a good, yeah. good vibe of gr- yeah. lots of green. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And could, could you share with us um, has, has the lockdown made your work any way different? Um, has this new normal been relevant to you in any new way? Yeah, I mean, the lockdown, as you know, has had a huge impact on, on, um, on research activities yeah. that we are currently doing in AMC uh, and a whole, um, actually worldwide uh, in terms of work that we do. Uh, yeah, so because of that, I mean, many um, projects, several projects have to be suspended <laughs> because of COVID. And at the same time, you know, we also need to uh, ensure that um, yeah, we do more research into the COVID and so that you get more information to be able to help us to get more detailed insight as to what is going on in order to support the clinical care as well as also the policies um, that right. can be used to ensure that you know people follow the rules. So I have been pretty very busy for the last couple of months uh, doing a lot of work, um, looking at what is happening with the COVID um, and what we can do um, to ensure that everyone stays safe and also um, ensure that the policies that are coming up is based on science, uh, not, um, yeah, 
you know, conspiracy theories. So that's what I've been doing for, for the last. Um, oh, yes, yeah. we know. Yeah. We know. I, 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 I think that really deserves attention, uh, ensuring that everything is scientifically proven um, and opposing to just rumors going about and controlling what we do. I think that's really important for us on the other side of the field because you are really on, on working on the front line, as I would say. For us, it's quite difficult to you know, uh, separate the two. And that's yeah. why we have our usual uh, discussions and we have people like you on our show to ensure that the information stream that we get mm -hmm. is, uh, is correct. Mm -hmm. um, so first things first, uh, because I really have to, I stand corrected because I kept referring to you as a doctor in the medical field, but you're not. Could you clarify that bit uh, so yeah. that that would be uh, pointed out? Yeah, I think, I think that some people get confused because of course, for, you know, in the medicine, you have a different fields. You have people who are working in the, say in the clinic, we go there, they give you a, and then you have people who are working on the public health side. And the public health side is basically looking at the, the health from the population standpoint. So we come out with the policy, for instance, how can you ensure that the, uh, the health of the public are actually safeguarded before they get into the clinic? Uh, for instance, how do you ensure that, you know, uh, um, how do we prevent people from developing stroke before they go into the clinic? Um, so that means that we need to come out with a lot of policies to educate people so that people actually know what to do and what not to do. And of course, if people end up in a clinic, how can we ensure that those people that have been, for instance, um, be prescribed medication and others, how do you prevent them, for instance, if someone has got a hypertension or diabetes, how do you prevent them from getting, you know, complications such as, for instance, you know, a stroke or, for instance, having an amputation? So you work very closely together um, and we basically sometimes it's not separatable, but it's very important that people see the differences because, you know, basically we rely on each other to, to, to be able to, yeah. to work together as a team. So when you yeah. come into the clinic and others, you don't see the difference, of course. But there is a clear differences as to who is doing what and who is doing what. But in the end, we all sit in the same place and that is. So that's just a little bit of a, a difference um, right. to clarify. Yeah. Right. And does that allow you to work from where you are, just your office, and not having to be uh, in contact with people that need help assistance? Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we do a lot of research. That also means that you, you have no choice. You still have to see people um, to basically uh, yeah, communicate with people. And, and sometimes also, you know, we, because we do a lot of research. And that means that you also need to get people in and uh, to be able to examine them, you know, in terms of, say, you know, looking at if you want to look at their clinical um, parameters like blood pressure, you know, diabetes and others. Then, of course, you still do have and part. And then, of course, the very important part of our work is also as teaching, you know, we teach the medical students um, what to do and in terms of from public health perspective. So it's very much, if you like, one big heap. And the only difference is that, you know, some people uh, go into the clinic and we more kind of, if you like, um, do it from the population point of view. Right. Yeah. From the population point of view. Yeah. Right. I understand. I understand. 
And um, so before we even going to talk about the details of your work, uh, we would really like to know because um, that is a lot of times the question that comes to mind of young people, you know, starting their career or after graduation, before it, uh, the journey really of, of coming to the place where you are, being a professor, as being that expert in your particular field. Could you take us to uh, back to your journey? How did it start? And how did you embark on this particular field in the Netherlands? That's a very, very important um, point. It's also um, something that I um, share with many young right. people, you know, especially young medical students and, and many people, so that we, we try to encourage them that. Yeah. You know, it is hard, but sometimes it's also possible. I mean, it work hard. But I think what I would say is that actually when I was a child, actually I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, so I was very, um, yeah, I, I like, you know, I really wanted to be a lawyer. Actually, I wanted to be a big lawyer in Ghana, actually. That was my dream. Right. But as I grew up and witnessed um, the devastating dry spells and the bushfires in Ghana, and also the military brutality towards innocent civilians during the coup d'etat. I mean, some of us that are old enough, that actually, uh, actually in the 80s, um, when I was young, that actually put, uh, basically, that's uh, my dream, because of course, you see so many lawyers who were yeah. being abused and others. So that dream actually lost because of that. And also because of um, some advice from my dad once say that, look, you know, see what they are doing to them. Um, so, yeah. and you're very outspoken. So just do something different, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's actually why actually I didn't become a, a lawyer. Um, so, but of course, after um, school, um, I, I decided to, um, you know, I wanted to study abroad uh, in those days. And I was very lucky, one of the lucky, because my sister at the time was in uh, London who then supported me um, to get through uh, UK. And then when I went there, I was very, very lucky to get um, admission to one of the finest and the prestigious university in the UK, which is the University of um, Edinburgh in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I went there to, uh, you know, to, to study. So during my study, I mean, in the master's, um, I, um, you know, in the medical school in, in University of Edinburgh, then I did a public health. Um, and again, here, sometimes, uh, you know, we have to be a little bit lucky. And I was very, very lucky to come across a very famous uh, professor. Uh, his name is Professor Bhopal. Very, very well known, very, very well respected. So uh, he, for some reason, he saw something in me. And he said to me, Charles, I want to supervise you. Um, and then uh, by that time, actually, you know, at that time too, the HIV was a big, big problem. So actually, I had wanted to um, to look in, uh, go into H, um, HIV, um, looking into a sort of a research into HIV, and I guess in the medical school. And then he said, no, why don't you look at, you know, the health of the minority population, the migrants and others, you know, someone else, I just, migrants, who are, are you talking about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And then um, he said to me, you go and read about it. Mm -hmm. So the more I went and the more I read about it, and the more you have discussion within the discussion with the team. And I, I, you know, 
really became a very interesting topic for me. So I decided, okay, this is a really, really area that needs attention. And yeah. therefore, I would be um, happy to do that. And he said that if you are happy to do that, I will volunteer to supervise you because I know that, you know, you have what it takes. That's what he said. Yeah. So um, again, I was very, very lucky. So he mentored me, actually, um, for all these years. So, you know, even after master as a young, um, you know, usually some people write their masters and they go on. But during my masters, I managed even to publish about nearly four papers with my master thesis. So that was really, really impressive as a young man. And then when I was in university there, I uh, met my wife who come from the Netherlands. So of course, you know, if you are a young man and you meet someone else, you make a lot of promises, don't you? <laughs> well, I promised that I would be out in actually. Right. Um, so after the course is finished, and then uh, initially I wanted to go to the US because I knew some group there that I wanted to. They were very, very famous, doing a lot of work. So I wanted to go, but then of course I've made a promise that I'll come to the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the end, I had to um, change my uh, plan, and and then decided to come to the Netherlands. But I might say that when I um, there, I was also very lucky when I was coming into the country, because before I even came in, I've already got a PhD position in Erasmus University. So I came in straight from uh, Edinburgh University to Erasmus uh, Medical Center um, to yeah. do a PhD um, in, a, you know, in, a, yeah, in medicine where I looked at uh, cardiovascular diseases among minorities and population. So I must say that for me, a little bit of luck <laughs> was also on the way, actually. Right. So I, I studied there for, uh, yeah, I think it's three years. I was actually very quick. I finished my PhD um, with no time. And then afterwards, I um, did a little bit of work. I think just about um, a couple of months in the you know National Institute of um, you know Public Health, RVM, and Environment. And so just about six months. And then the uh, University of Amsterdam, um, one professor invited me to uh, yeah to to come to um, Amsterdam um, and see whether I can develop my own research. Right. And again, I was uh, very lucky to um, acquire very, very prestigious uh, grants um, in the Netherlands. You call it Vene Vidivici. It's sort of if you like, they must get. Mm -hmm. And as a young man, I was very lucky to succeed. And then actually, I many people go for it several times. I was yeah. able to get it within a, one shot. <laughs> so that was very, very helpful. And that, of course, that gave me the, um, the opportunity to be able to uh, mm. start my own research line and then develop it and then manage to get a lot of, um, again, prestigious grant from European Commission and then set up a very important project called the uh, Rodham Study where you compare the migrants mm -hmm. uh, here in the, you know, several European countries, including Amsterdam, Berlin, uh, um, London, and then rural and urban Ghana to give us an idea what is actually happening. And then afterwards, again, I have been very successful to get the ERC, which is one of the most sought. Uh, yeah, it's one of the most prestigious um, scientific award within the whole Europe. And so I got it. Um, and I've through that, I've managed to set up a team. And now you're doing a lot of work, training a lot of uh, young uh, people. I mean, now, as I said, you have about 
see six um, you know doctors and uh, clinical doctors from Ghana who are now doing the PhDs. And for the last few years, you know, trained about more than 10 PhDs, and are now over nine people are also being trained. So I, I would say that you know this is the uh, the, the background. Uh, it has been um, hard work, but it's also a little bit of luck here and there. <laughs> it's all coming together. And that is, but with the hard work brings the luck actually. Um, right. So that is the um, a little bit of a background um, about me. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of okay. paving the way, wow, wow. Uh, I, I would just like to know, this is uh, pretty much for me who is always interested in cultural differences. How mm. does the environment look like in terms of migrants? Um, Scotland, <laughs> how, how did the migrants, uh, how did the communities even, the ethnic groups or the migrant groups look like? and on, on, on which specific environment <laughs> were you looking at? Um, how, how, where was this focused on? I would really like to know. And, and how was it also for you being Black in Scotland at that time? Was there a community? Was, wasn't there a community? How did that go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Scotland, of course, I mean, it, it's like it's a very far away. But um, yeah. Actually, it's, uh, the University of Edinburgh is one of the uh, yeah, it's one of the biggest universities in the whole of UK, and it's one of the most prestigious. I mean, it's actually come sometimes come top five. You know, we have Cambridge, you have um, London, you have you know Oxford, you have others, and then you have Edinburgh and others. So, um, so you have a lot of different uh, minorities that studied there. You know, all over the world. You know, and yeah. also people from the US, all over, all over the place. And of course, Scotland is, um, yeah, it is, I would say that you have, um, yeah, you also have a lot of ethnic minorities there, um, you know, and I think actually in terms of policies, it's one of the countries that actually minority do well in Scotland, because it's actually, they are looking for more, you know, encouraging more minorities to stay there. Uh, so yeah, for me, I think it was um, actually it was one of the best places I've ever lived. Uh, it was very nice, although it was raining all the time, but it was oh, very man. very nice place. You know, it people are very very nice. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then you have the ethnic groups. The, the key ethnic groups are actually I would say the the Indian Pakistani population is very large, and you have quite a sizable um, African population also living in a. Yeah. In Scotland, especially in Edinburgh. And of course, you also have, of course, the, the white, you know, have a lot of English people living there. And so it's Irish and this is a kind of uh, a large um, um, group of, of people. Yeah, ethnic groups, yeah. That is interesting. That is it. That's, that's an area where I haven't heard many stories, you know, coming from, um, was it 80s, early 90s, you know, a black man being in that environment. <laughs> Uh, that that's where my question came from, and yeah. um, I I love how their journey, even though not the intent, it mm -hmm. did bring you to the Netherlands, mm -hmm. where uh, where basically is where you stayed all this time. Did you did you ever think of going migrating elsewhere? I mean, yeah. I mean, I was as I said, I was wanted to go to the U.S., but certainly the Netherlands was not on the card. I cannot share. <laughs> 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 and the reason why it was not on the card because it's a different language. It's not. Yeah very well affiliated and others. So it was certainly not 
um, close to anywhere I, I wanted to go. So it was just a pure chance that I end up in the Netherlands. But I don't regret it because it's been a very, very good. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, and I haven't heard any desire to uh, be a lawyer at the end. I think this is... No, I think that yeah, the achievement I've managed to do, and also actually in health, I think it's one of the most satisfying areas you could ever do. You know, and to be a professor, being able to really, for me, actually, what's actually has been phenomenal is that, you know, I've managed to fulfill what I want to do. I really want to give back to Africa. Yeah. And I think that the combination of working here and also, you know, linking up to many African countries, training the next generation, you know, um, particularly more so that, you know, the young doctors, you know, training them for to see them becoming seniors and India fields and respective field and then getting experience with research, getting a PhD, I think. And also more importantly, setting up a very nice research that they can use to support policy and clinical care. I think I can never ask for more. Um, so for that, I'm very, very grateful and, and I'm very, very satisfied with what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Uh, in the meantime, for those of you who just tuned in, welcome to African Focus. We're having uh, a very good conversation with uh, uh, Professor uh, Charles Ajumai. So do people mix up the professor and say doctor a lot? Are people allowed to call you doctor? Yeah, yeah, because remember that actually um, the, the way it works is that, um, you know, um, ideally, if you do a, a medical training, you are not a doctor. Um, so in the Netherlands, you see that they write, you know, DRS. So yeah. that's, you know, Dr. Andes. So that means that you become a doctor when you finish your PhD. Um, so exactly. So, so you have young doctors are working, but we in the academic world or say, I'm say, if you do a, a medical training um, without, um, yeah, PhD, you don't see you as a doctor, <laughs> unfortunately. You know. right. But so you have to have a, a doctorate, uh, which is the PhD, to qualify you to become a doctor. Mm. But of course, um, once you become a doctor, which means that you have the doctor of philosophy, mm. then you know, then you have to have, go through a whole lot to be able to become a professor. First, you have to become a, a postdoc. In other words, that means that if you finish your uh, uh, doctorate. And then you spend some time, and then uh, you know, with time goes on, you become an assistant professor. That means that a very junior. Mm -hmm. And with time, if you continue to progress, then you become what you call the associate professor. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the ultimate is then becoming the full professor. And usually, can take. Um, and I think for a full professor, it's not many, because of course, there's not many places uh, in it, and it's very, very competitive. So you have to be on top of your game before you right. be able to become a, a professor. So, so you see, uh, you know, for in our eyes, you know, you know, you have a young doctors who are doing, of course, if they if they work very hard and then they move on, and then they yeah. become a postdoc and others, and then they move on into become a professor. So there's a huge difference uh, between, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the professorship and then. Uh, the doctors and others. So that's that's how it works. But of course, in the outside world, people don't see the difference. So there's a clear yeah. difference. Right. Yeah. 
I understand. Um, can you become a professor without teaching or without being in the academic uh, field? No. Um, the, the idea is that, you know, the way it works um, um, for the professor, in, of course, in some, um, how do I say, in some um, places in the U.S. and others, they also, sometimes they call college professor. But that's different. Mm -hmm. yeah. As a college professor, you can just teach in a, a college and then they call you as a, a college professor. But when you say academic professor, uh, that means that you have to be um, actually um, uh, in the university. You have to actually, the, the professorship actually comes back, back with the research that you've done. It's actually, if you like, it's an expertise. So that means that you are an expert in one specific area. And then you hold what you call a chair. So that means that, like me, you know, when you are addressing me, you see the professor in global migration, ethnicity, and health. Yeah. So that means that that is my chair, the chair of being specialized in global migration, ethnicity, and health. And that also means that before you do that, that means that you have to basically have, do a lot of research to substantiate that. So you cannot be a professor without being uh, sort of not having uh, published. And that also means that once you become a professor, whatever you say matters because you are an expertise in the field and others. So, yeah, so the question is that, you know, uh, you need to be in academia and you need to have a tremendous amount of, or I would say a very great track record before you can become a professor, particularly in the Netherlands, uh, because the competition here is very, very fierce. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I understand. Mm -hmm. So so that means that in your your road to becoming a professor, you pro and still um, in, in your researches, you probably see a lot of papers, you get um, lots of new data, um, lots of, you, you get to draw conclusions or even reflect back upon things that you thought you knew and, and that with new data, you have to draw um, other concepts or theories based on that. So then what are things or significant developments that you've experienced in your, in, in, in public health or yeah, that, that you feel like, all right, these are things that actually really matters, especially to, to migrants or to Africans? I think that, you know, I mean, to, uh, for me, as I said, that, you know, I've, I've done this work, particularly on the migrant health work for many, many years, actually. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I, you know, I've um, set up a series of um, uh, projects, which is having a tremendous amount of impact, not only in the, um, say, in the Netherlands or in the Europe, but also in Africa, which I, I'm very, very pleased about. As I said to you that, you know, I have two hats. One is here in Europe and one is in Africa. And I want to ensure that everything that I do has a benefit to the African population, not only here, but globally. And that's always been my, my, my dream. So in doing that, I mean, I have um, done a series of work, um, you know, and, and one of the work that, as I mentioned it to you, is called the Rodham Study, which is actually quite unique in the world where you look at the migrant, those that have migrated, and then you compare them back to those that did not migrate. And that gives you the opportunity to be able to see actually what has changed 
upon migration. What are people actually doing that actually put them into, um, say, develop a specific conditions? So this work has been a huge, huge hit, actually, and a huge, huge success. And if through that as well, we've actually managed to, um, as I said, train so many people, you know, PhDs, masters, you know, BSCs, and others. So there's been a huge, huge uh, part. And more importantly, we are also using the knowledge that actually has come out from that work to be able to uh, basically support clinical care. For instance, if you go to your doctor, I mean, the doctor will um, be prescribed for you, but the doctor needs information. They want to know that what is happening with this population. So you can take a doctor as a doctor is up there, the, all the information that the doctor is given is based on what you call the clinical guidelines. And the, those clinical guidelines is actually shaped by those research that we do. And that's why it becomes so, so important that the research needs to be taken very, very seriously. Sometimes people don't, or people underestimate the power yeah. of this research. Um, so we have done a lot of this research, and you've also probably heard about the Helio study, which is also, yeah. also one of the investigators, actually. Um, so we've done a lot of this. And then between, in between this as well, we are doing a lot of work in Ghana in many, many fields. You know, now he's doing some work looking at, for instance, how does the people with amputation, uh, you know, from, um, for instance, as a result of diabetes, how do they actually, how is the clinics actually looking after them? Where can we improve that area? And also, um, as you mentioned, in terms of theory, how can we actually come out with a, a theory that makes sense so that you can use it to improve the health of the minority populations. So all this field has been a field that has been developing over the years. And of course, you know, uh, yeah, naturally, when you start developing this, you write a lot about it because then you really want to try and, 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 and get your thoughts up there. I mean, I, as I said, you are talking about minority. I always say that, you know, I always hide behind the right. Because, you know, if you, for instance, if you're a minority, you go to the ministries and others, you want to talk about, probably people might not take you seriously. Sure. But if you write it and it goes into the scientific journals and people, yeah. you know, people see that, that this is the message, nobody can uh, dispute it. And that's why it becomes so, so important. The science, uh, you know, comes, and that's also why for the, for the last few years, I'm, I'm doing whatever I can to try to build capacity in Ghana and many of the African countries. And that's why you know, I say to you that you have a lot of junior doctors who are currently being trained by myself, you know, giving them the PhDs, they go back so that they can actually use it to improve care and the services that they provide. Yeah, I love that. Excellent. I definitely love that. So here comes COVID. <laughs> addressing, you know, um, well, addressing is even even an understatement, but specifically, you know, touching on um, matters within minority groups. Mm -hmm. uh, man, um, how has this impacted your field of work specifically? Because I, I can imagine that um, a lot of people will come to you to, mm -hmm. to ensure that questions are answered. You know, that is one. 
Mm -hmm. um, hi, 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 Denta. Denta, I'm watching. Shout out to her. Uh, that was super random, I know, but uh, that is one of our key key noted figures in the uh, uh, the Ghanaian uh, diaspora from the UK. Thank you so much for tuning in in your uh, busy schedule. I know that. Uh, but back to the question, uh, um, Professor, um, could you share with us a bit of the 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 highlights of you know what your work now looks like now that the topic of COVID is so real? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, I mean, the work that's actually, that's I said to you, some of the work that you've done, you know, especially the Rodham study and the Healy study, have given a tremendous amount of information. For instance, we know that, you know, uh, many of the chronic conditions, such as, you know, heart diseases, the stroke, you know, uh, diabetes, hypertension, many of these conditions are actually more common among the minority populations. Right. Um, um, and, and yeah, you also know that in terms of care, for instance, uh, access to care is also a problem. And it's really because of communication. Yeah? And it's also, um, again, sometimes, um, how do I say, yeah, discrimination. There's so many different factors that actually do that. And that's actually can be linked to the COVID because what we are seeing in the COVID situation is that if you look at the rate of um, then uh, you know in terms of infection, and in also in terms of the uh, mortality or death from the COVID, you see that you know studies coming from the US and the UK and also from our own clearly show that the minority population are more likely to be actually to be infected, and more likely to be admitted to the hospitals, you know, and I think that you know. You also have learned a lot about the COVID for the last year or so. That, for instance, we know that if you have a chronic conditions such as heart diseases, you know, chronic um, kidney disease, if you have a higher rate of um, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, your risk is up to nearly, in some cases, is up to five times, especially if you take a chronic kidney disease or so. So that's also tied us up and tells us why we are seeing such a huge inequalities because we are not able to you know, basically address the inequalities in terms of the chronic conditions. And that translates into people getting more caught up in yeah. the COVID. And of course, what we also know is that you know, COVID is also is a social issue. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we tell you that you know, people should keep social distance and all this. But remember, if you are living in a household, where there is no possibility to even to do social distancing, there might be an issue. You also know that many people, uh, probably you and I will be able to work from home or be able to sort of have a secure office where you separate yourself from others. Yeah. But if you end up being on the frontline services, you have no choice. You have to go to work. And that means that you become more susceptible in catching the infection. So there's a lot of multiple factors actually explain why the minority people have actually got caught up in it. I mean, uh, you have done a lot of study um, also here in, in, you know, in, in many countries, but in the Netherlands, we've done some study which actually shows that, you know, unfortunately our uh, Ghanaian population and other also minority population have been more caught up also. So in that regard, it's not new. 
But of course, that you know, I always say that sometimes it's very important that you call the spade a spade, and you also need to address the elephant in the room. You know, myself has been attacked. Uh, people are saying that, oh, why do you bring this uh, information out? Just keep it. You know, I say, you know, just keep it. If you come across that, you know, the Ghanaians are not doing well, just um, put it under the carpet. Don't let people know. But how can I do that? Yeah. You know, so. And it is not only here in the Netherlands. I mean, in the UK and the US, now it's a lot of talk around. How can we address these social inequalities? So we need to do the same in the Netherlands. And that's what we are doing. Um, so we need to expose it and let people know that this is a problem. Even someone told me that, you know, I shouldn't even say that the Ghanaians and other minorities are poor in the Netherlands. You've right. been seeing ourselves. People know you are. <laughs> so, so you don't have to go there because people know the minorities everywhere are disadvantaged. So if you say to ourselves that you shouldn't let people know that you are poor and then you'll be deceiving ourselves. We need yeah. to voice this out so that people can receive care or to receive help that they need, particularly those that are vulnerable. Um, so yeah, so basically the, the, the bottom line is that COVID has clearly exposed the huge inequalities uh, between minority groups and actually exacerbated already the inequalities that are already there. Because you see that so many people are becoming a victim. And my actually fear, particularly, is that if you do have this COVID, there is still a lot you don't know. Now you have issue of what do you call the long-term COVID. You know, that means that if you have the COVID, it can have an, a huge impact for the long term. Right. So if there are a lot of people get it and others, then that can, in the end, if you don't do something about it, it can actually exacerbate even further the inequalities that we are seeing. Yeah, yeah. Because I was even shocked to hear the the last seminar that we did that people would even threaten you. Oh so, yes. Uh, uh, I I was surprised. Yeah. Some some people even threatened me, saying to me that why do I um, <laughs> why do I have the study and then to to tell people that you know the Ghanaian and other minority do have a problem and therefore we should actually um, even some people even go further to say that you know we have taken money from the government to do some work to put it now and then you, it, you look at for me you know as a research, you know, as, as a scientist as a university professor you just laugh about it. Sure. Uh, but the, the problem here, you know, is that, you know, in the process of doing so, you put the vulnerable people within the community at a higher risk. Because there might be a young people who might be able to work along. But if remember that, you know, if someone else has a kidney disease, they have something within yeah. the community, these people can get killed or, you know, very ill very, very easily. Yeah. So we need to be, um, how do I say, we need to be very uh, cautious and to watch what we say um, in terms of, because if you do that, in the end, it's the community that suffers. It's not me. Me, for me, it doesn't even affect anything. It's not going to affect yeah. my work because I'm already too busy. So I can always <laughs> do business. So the work that you do yeah. in the community, actually, I would say that it's just a laugh. Um, to come in and do, you know, spend time going to the churches and going into the community. You don't get paid for it. Nobody gets paid for anything. 
but you do it out of love because you know that you know it's very nice that you get into the community, be more connected to the community, and make the community develop like any other communities. So we need to um, ensure that those people that are actually making this program, they actually, I would say that these are the enemies of um, of the community because they don't want the community to develop. Actually, they just want you to just sit on your own environment. Uh, yeah. You don't get out. I would say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we also call them enemy of progress. Enemy of progress. That actually is a beautiful saying by uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know Stephen Hawking says that you know the um, I put it uh, he says that you know actually the in terms of science or in terms of uh, you know academia and others he says that you know the the threat to knowledge is not ignorance. But rather illusion of knowledge. So you have a lot of people out there who think that they know. Yeah. <laughs> so they come out with so many things, but they don't know. Yeah. And then that means that you know they come out with many, many things, and then they start basically putting things to people's minds, yeah. and then make people make a decision which is the wrong decision. Yeah. So I think that as a community, these are the people that you have to be very, very careful about. Otherwise, you know, they would, um, yeah, they would make things worse for us. Yeah. yeah. And, and these type of people, yeah. these type of people you do find within your own, let's say, within the Ghanaian community, they're also there, right? Um, oh, this was from the Ghanaian community. <laughs> this stress was not coming from uh, anywhere. I've never actually seen it. So actually now, um, the um, you know I also have a very close as I said I work very very closely with the University of Ghana Kwame Nkrumah University and others. so now it's becoming a laugh you know, so sort of you know with the uh, with the dean of the medical school and others. you all laugh about it you know Charles is getting money and <laughs> so yeah but it's coming from the Ghanaian community yes and more importantly from the church that we support mm. and and how do you go about with these things because they are the ones who will probably come with conspiracy theories and also miss, uh, with a lot of misinformation or half truths that they've read or they've heard from others how do you combat that um this i think that is why it becomes so important particularly the, like the program you are doing to provide a fact and others and i think that you know we've also been very um yeah um how do i see it I, i'm actually you know, I'm a natural outspoken person, you know, I and I don't take these things at her because I know that if you get someone else who doesn't know, then it means that these people are, I would call them, this is the danger. So that means that we need to come out and make a plan and get information to the community that they need. So what are my, um, yeah, wishes that, you know, you continue to provide the information, the right information, of course, you give the information up there. In the end, it's you, the individual, who have to make that decision. Um, but the danger is that, you know, you have to be very careful. And I think the most important point I will make is that ensure that the source of the information that you are getting is coming from the right source. You know, I mean, actually, I've got some, some um, video, for instance, people saying that if you get a COVID and then, um, how do they call it? Soboro or something like that. You have um, a ginger. You 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 have a ginger, you know, and then you add oh, a, 
yeah, you have uh, you put a little bit of a lemon in it, and then you drink it, and all of a sudden you become a superman, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, COVID will come in, and then it will not even see, you know. Right. So the point is that you know we need to be real. Right. You need to 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 be a bit more educated, and you need to, you know, become real that you know there is nowhere that you know you're gonna drink um, how do i say or so and then you oh, think no. that the COVID would would then sit you and just say that oh i'm not coming close <laughs> you know so we need to be real yeah. <laughs> and we need to ensure that the information that you have is not accurate because if you don't in the end you become the victim and i think actually yeah. that also has to do with the uh, the vaccination part of it you know you know that the minorities are those that actually need this you know vaccination very very badly sure if you go to the US, I mean, they now be beginning to prosecute people. Even the rich millionaires are basically trying to cheat the system so that they get the vaccine because they know that this is where they can be safe. And if someone comes to you and tell you that, oh, the vaccine, or they're going to come in and how do I say, to use you as a guinea pig and then um, you don't have to take it and all this. And then you sit down and just say to us, even before the vaccine will come into the market, they've already tested in the thousands and thousands. Yeah. So why do you actually come out with this in the first place? And then there is this, um, yeah, um, how do I say, G5 is all connected with, you know, sometimes you have to sit back and think. <laughs> you know, but can you blame people for the coronavirus? So, <laughs> So my point is that, you know, when you hear all these funny stories, let the common sense work. <laughs> you know, even if you don't, you know, you just have to bring the common sense back into, right. into the equation in order to, to stay safe. Because otherwise, you get taken away. And in the end, you know, someone might say that they might survive it. But if you have right. a very vulnerable people in your communities, this is a very, very dangerous issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good that we can we can laugh about it, but you know it's it's uh, it's quite serious. Yeah. And the the rumors or to say the the stories surrounding it really you know puts um, people in the wrong place. Yeah. You know that's, that's really what is uh, what is happening. Mm -hmm. um, in some in just a few minutes, we'll take on some questions. We're getting some questions from viewers. Um, that are listening. I um, actually promised to share the number, but um, upon my excitement, I uh, definitely went straight to to the comments. Uh, shout out to um, uh, D Narrow, who is given a thumbs up for uh, just what you were just sharing with us. And uh, also a shout out to Mensa Gary, who's saying, well-spoken professor. And um, also, Kwame Anansi was saying, quite an experience. Thank you for sharing your story, Professor Ajemai. And uh, also a shout out to uh, Dr. Razak Jesse, who's saying, very impressive story and experience. Thank you for sharing, Professor Ajemai. And um, also in a bit, we'll be taking on uh, Mehdi Sebi, who has a question, so that we can also uh, touch on that uh, as we almost uh, round up this conversation uh, as we talk to um, our professor, our very own one, we should definitely cherish. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, we love the fact that you are you are as outspoken. It really <laughs> connects with the younger generation. Mm -hmm. So even if the older ones might not show love all the mm -hmm. time, 
you definitely get enough love from us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so if if we, because one one of the important things that I would really like to ask before we even round up, I know time is already much spent, is this thing with the antibodies. You know, the mm -hmm. topic of the antibodies came in uh, the news, Head for All, if I mm -hmm. even uh, recall, um, covering or highlighting the fact that Ghanaians would have some sort of resistance uh, to COVID-19, uh, which even after reading the article, I was like, is this positive news or is this negative uh, news? Um, okay, could you clarify what the information about that is and what are the what are these terms, antibodies mean, and what are the dangers associated with uh, these terms? Well, I mean, I mean, if you hear a lot about the antibodies, um, basically, I mean, antibodies is just a simple, I mean, if you put it in a very simple term, it's just a body defense system, you know? So, so for instance, if you um, come across, say, if the body, if there's a, a virus enter into your body, yeah, yeah. The, the system, um, it's made in such a way that it fights back. It raises, you know, different levels of, say, protein, specifically, um, to try to counteract it. And what makes antibodies so, so amazingly that any virus that comes into your body, the body will be able to see that, okay, this is the virus that comes into my body. I'll give it a code. And then it gives a code so that next time, if the virus comes again, it remembers it, and it raises up the, these antibodies and then fight against it. Okay. So in a way, it can be um, advantageous. Right. But the problem with that, um, the, particularly the work that we did earlier, uh, you know, in relation to the COVID, is that you know, the, the, the antibodies, you develop the antibodies after you have actually contracted a specific virus. And the body system, as I said, raise up against it. Right. There are many times that actually the body get overwhelmed by the virus. So that means that many people, you know, who are unfortunate, particularly those that are immune system are weak, can be killed by it. And that's why you've been actually, from the one, you've been trying to try and show that you don't want to get it before you get the, um, the antibodies. The antibodies, yeah. Exactly. Because not many people will be able to um, actually fight back. You see? Um, so actually, if, if, you, if you put it in a very simple term, particularly those of you that are if you just like you know having a country and having a, an army. So yeah. the army is kind of a defense, ensuring that nobody comes in and others. But the problem is that sometimes you might have a very powerful um, you know, enemy coming into you, and then you will not be able to defend yourself. So they will actually beat you up. And then, of course, afterwards, you remember that those of us that survived, remember that, oh, these are the people that came out and beat us up. But so many people have already lost their lives. And that's why we just said to them, the fact that you have a high level of antibodies does not mean that you are immune. It means that the uh, you know the enemy has been to beat many people out of it and in the process leave their traces right. and the problem, another point of the antibodies is also that i want to emphasize is that you know <coughs> the things is that you know the antibodies mm -hmm. usually when it comes in you know remember that 
the fact that you have the antibodies does not mean that you're going to, you are not going to get the conditions again. It mm -hmm. means that you have developed the uh, defense system to be able to counteract it. It might come again and might overtake you. And more importantly, what's also what we know that we don't know actually, as to now, now we know that, you know, based on the studies that came a couple of weeks ago, that you can actually develop the antibodies and be able to resist it for a couple of months. But you don't know how long you're going to be able to maintain it. And that means that, you know, you have to be very, very careful, not able to get the, uh, not to catch it before the antibodies leave its traces. So effectively, when you say about this antibody, that is what it means. But you can look at it in a very different way. There are ways that you can actually determine the antibodies, but we determine it and it tells you whether you have developed, you say, the COVID in the past. It doesn't tell you whether develop it now. It just given an idea that, oh, Charles Ajman, you know, you've done the test. He, he has actually been exposed to the COVID in the past. Yeah. I was been lucky to survive it, say, if I had developed it. But many people that actually get it might not have been survived. And that's what we see in so many people, you know, as I speak today, almost about 122 million people worldwide have actually contracted the, the virus. And over, you know, more than 2 million people have died from it. Yeah. You know, this is a huge, it's massive. So one easy way to get the uh, get the virus and then to try to just say that oh I've got a, I've got the antibodies so I'm doing okay, you might be doing it but you've been very lucky that when it actually get into your household, you know you were able to survive. Yeah. But many people didn't. So that is actually I would say that a very simple way of uh, explaining the, the the antibodies that we, we've been hearing about for the last few uh, months. Yeah. 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 Thank you for clarifying that. What about the new variant of COVID, uh, the virus? What what is all that about? And uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the the variants. I mean, of course. I mean, if you have any other virus, what happens is that the virus continue developing different. You know, when you say virus, right. basically, it's sort of you know changing the way it is. You know, yeah. sometimes it comes in a little bit of soft green, sometimes kind of a little bit of, you know, sort of they are playing up. And actually, it's also just like, um, actually, if you, again, if you put it in a very um, simple terms, if you have a family, you know, if you, you have, you have different characteristics of each other, you know, some people come in a different forms and some can be quite deadly. And what we currently know is that, you know, so far there has been three key um, variants who are actually shown to be quite deadly. And the one uh, exactly, um, so that is mainly the 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 UK uh, variant. You call it the Kent variant, actually, because it depends from the Kent in the southern part of the UK. And you know that actually it can spread very very quickly. Um, so and it's also actually it can be more um, in terms of uh, yeah the, the consequences can be more fatal compared to what you call the wild type. In other words, the wild type is the, the original format. So that actually spread very, very fast. And that's why people get worried because they know that, you know, um, it can jump very, very quickly compared to the original one. And then you have the, um, you know, the, the, the South African variant as well, which is also um, very highly transmissible. In other words, it, it actually can transmit very, very quickly. And the danger about that one too is that it can actually 
evade the immune system. You know, because you can, as I mentioned it to you earlier, the immune system try to sort of, if you like, try to, um, um, yeah, to, to steer against, against the virus that is coming. But it's, it develops itself in such a way that it can hide itself from the immune system. And that's what makes that one is also a little bit quite, uh, yeah, a, a little bit dangerous. And more recently, you have another one which is coming from Brazil also. So the Brazil variant is also seems to be very, very, uh, yeah, it's also kind of have very different types of mutations attached to that. And that can also be, you know, very quickly transmissible as well. So there is a lot of variants up there. And that's why it's also so important that we able to sort of do this vaccination so that you prevent the COVID from trying to turn into different sources. But the good thing is that luckily, most of the vaccines that are being developed are equally able to target most of these uh, variants. So that is the um, a good thing about it. But of course, you don't know which variants is going to develop next. And that's why it's so, so important that those of you that have the chance to get a vaccine needs to get it. And for me as a person, you know, if you know someone else who have died from the COVID, you will know exactly what you are talking about. And I, I keep on using the example of my own good friend. You know, he was a professor, was actually the head of the, um, the Ghana, you know, um, how do I say, um, school, of, um, med, school of Surgeons and, and others. He was, he was the director. Yeah. 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 And he died from it. You know, yeah. he, he, he worked so hard, really, really hard doing anything. Yeah. But, you know, he died from it. So it is real. So if you hear people saying that it's not real, and then you see intensive care full people are struggling to breathe and others, yeah. then you make you think, what is actually going on in people's mind? You see, is the evidence is there? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm getting emotional here. So, but uh, that's, <laughs> I get it. Um, it's, it's a little bit so so frustrating, actually. Yeah. yeah. We definitely understand the emotion. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, vaccine, connecting it to some of the questions from our audience, uh, just so that we do that before we even uh, round up, because we know we've taken a lot of your time. No problem. Um, <laughs> Medi Sebi, who says, uh, what measures or things should the community, so I, I assume she's referring to African community, Ghanaian mm -hmm. community, do to prevent uh, COVID? What should they do? I think I think I think this is a very very important question, and I think you've been doing this, uh, you know, um, very much. Actually, myself as well. I mean, when we actually get this news, I work very hard. I actually, managed to get a meeting together with the uh, in Amsterdam, the 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 major of Amsterdam, together with the community leaders, and they the major was so so helpful. She was very listening to everybody. She spoke to all the community leaders to try to help them to basically to to. Yeah, to help themselves. So I think what I would say first is that, you know, the community need to take this very, very seriously. Because first of all, again here, I would just speak out because I know there is a lot of uh, people who are sitting with say, obesity, who are sitting with hypertension, who are sitting with diabetes, who are sitting with chronic kidney disease in the community. And this means that you know, we need to be extra careful because if you don't, this, this is going to hit people very, very hard. If, you don't, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to give you a lot of side effects for many, many years to come. Yeah. So that means that, you know, 
the funerals that we go, I'm not saying that you shouldn't mourn, you should mourn, but we need to take the measures very, very seriously. Yeah. We need to ensure that you know, we're wearing our masks. We need to ensure that, you know, um, you know, we need to keep the social distances. You know that, you know, in our community, we love each other. You know, everybody wants to say, hey, hi, hi. But yeah. this is the time to do it. So that means that, you know, you need to be very, very mindful of what we do. Another important point I think I would say is that, of course, we all love going to church. It is good that we worship God. But God is also giving us the brain to know what is going on. So that means that if you go to church, yeah. if you go to church, you need to be very careful the way you do it. Yeah. Because you remember that, you know, God has told us, God has managed to figure it out for us, what COVID is and what it can do. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, you know, and it's killing, it's been killing, um, yeah, if you are a pastor, if you are a father, if, it doesn't spare anyone. In yeah. Italy, it kills so many Roman Catholic fathers because they didn't know. So the fact that you're going to church doesn't mean that you are protected. You know, in fact, COVID will be laughing at you very, very hard if you yeah. pretend that you know, God is there and then I can do whatever I'm God will protect me. Yeah. This is what God is telling you to do. So that means that you need to be very careful when you go to church. You need to be very careful uh, whatever you do. You need to basically keep the social distancing. You need to put your mask on. And more importantly, you need to be very, very mindful about this uh, misinformation that is circulating within the community. Particularly, what's it called it again? Osubulos, whatever, these uh, concussions. The, the, the spicy drinks. <laughs> exactly, the spicy drinks and analysis. You know, we need to be very mindful about all these things and take the measures. Because in the end, remember that, you know, the, any small action that you do in the community can have an effect on other people. Particularly those, as I keep on saying, those that are vulnerable. So you need to be very, very careful to ensure that, you know, we follow the measures. We, you know, pretend, you know, sort of try and stay away from conspiracy theories. And then we ensure that, you know, we get the right information and follow the rules that has been laid down. And if you do that, be able to protect ourselves, be able to protect the community, and more importantly, be able to protect our loved ones. Yeah. So it's uh, quite clear that you are also prompting everyone to get the vaccine. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the vaccine, remember that actually, if you you remember that there is a lot of issues, those of you that actually in the U.S. now, you know, uh, you know that the the, uh, uh, President Trump, the uh, ex-president follows us, don't want to get it. It means that Trump actually had the vaccine before he left office. Right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. So so don't deceive yourself. And more importantly, do not deceive yourself that you know the vaccine um, is not there for you. You know, many people actually think that the vaccine has been developed very very fast. Of course, these are questions are legitimate, but put it into context. Those of us that came to the country, come to the UK. I remember when I called my mom in Ghana and my dad. At those years, they used to call someone else who is living in the, in the street somewhere else. Yeah. And then you have to go and call him to come into the phone booths before yeah. you're able to speak to your mom. Sometimes it takes, you know, it actually rained it a, a, a day or two days before. Wow. Today, today, you can just pick up the phone and call your mom. Your mom will pick up the phone and speak to you. 
technology has changed so quickly. And that's why the vaccine, the way the development hub is going through that, because we live in a high, you know, the technology has improved tremendously. Sure. So every other vaccine follow exactly the same. So don't let people to, um, yeah, to distract you that this has been developed very, very quickly, especially those of you that love to use your phones and others, you know, it's exactly the same process. Technology yeah. is in. So please, if the vaccine, if you have the opportunity, just go and get it. It's the only way you can save yourself and save your loved ones and save it. And now you've actually know that if you get a vaccine as well, you can even protect others because that means that your immune system is strong enough for you to be able to, um, yeah, to pass it on to others. So it's very, very important that uh, you take the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And does it make us immune? Because someone is asking if it if that makes us immune specifically. I mean, what, what it does is that the, the vaccine actually protects you to, uh, it, it gives you the immunity against it, you know, when it comes again. But that's not means that you are not going to, um, in fact, remember that, you know, the COVID can still come in. The, the issue here, they comes in and the immune system, mm -hmm. you know, fight against it. So the fact that, again, this is very important. Many people think that once I get vaccinated, then I can start doing whatever I want to do. No, yeah. because once you get vaccinated, you can still be infectious. The only thing is that, you know, your immune system is able to fight against it. Uh, and that's why even if you get a vaccine, it is very important that for now you continue to follow the, the rules. You put your mask on so that, you know, if you get it, it doesn't go on into others. So yes, the vaccine can protect you. Right. Okay. That is good to know. That is really good to know. Um, one other question I had as well. Oh, yeah, because this was one I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who is uh, in the UK. Is there a different, is there, should people prefer which brand or which type of vaccine? They should, because we've now heard of maybe at least five different mm -hmm. types around. And somebody told me last time, listen, specifically, I'm going for the Oxford one. Uh, <laughs> what 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 is your your observations on that yeah i mean as you know that there has been a lot of the vaccine um in the market you have the uh, you know pfizer you have the moderna you have the johnson and johnson you have astrazeneca and then you have the zeno from the china and now you have some from the russia excuse me and others but i think that what we know is that all the vaccine are protective Remember that you're going to hear that some of the vaccines are a bit more, well, for instance, if you take the Pfizer or if you take the Moderna, you know, you have 95% uh, you know, protection. Yeah. And some say that the rates are low. Typically, the vaccines, you know, if you get it to 16 and above, you are protected. Right. You know, so, so the most important thing is actually having the vaccine. So... Now, and the, all the uh, vaccine that has been tested, for instance, the, um, probably you've heard about all these, many countries are uh, stopped, for instance, you know, stopped the uh, AstraZeneca a little bit because they thought that was not potent yeah. enough and others and others. But we know that actually is very, very effective. You know that actually if you look at the UK, UK is the country that's doing better now because they've vaccinated more people. Okay. So the, the, the fact of the matter is that the vaccine that comes across 
it's all been proved. It's always been uh, shown to be efficacious. In other words, it's all been shown to be very effective. Right. So my advice to you is that if you go into your GP or if you go into your doctor or if you go into wherever you know the point is to get your vaccine, just go and get it because you know if you don't take the vaccine, what I mean, I'll put it simply: not having a vaccine. It's more dangerous than having the vaccine, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so um, this is a lot. I would say this is a luxury problem, actually. <laughs> you know, the yeah. problem. Yeah. So the vaccine, all of them, has been proved to be very, very effective. So please, 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 do not start discriminating against which vaccine I should have it, but rather just go forward and just get what is available up to you there. You know, the governments and everything else is going to provide it. And remember, particularly those of us that are in the diaspora, that are in the countries such as like Netherlands and others, yeah. you have the opportunity to have this. There are many, many countries up there, many, many countries up there that do not yeah. have the opportunity to have the vaccine. Yeah. And there's so many people who are very, very desperate to have them. Because they cannot have them because the system do not support that. Yeah. So if you have it and you say you are not taking it, how do you explain it to poorer countries that are struggling so hard in order to be able to get a vaccine? Mm. So my point here is that all the vaccines that have been now been approved by the governments are effective. So just get one that is available for you and then let's move on. And then stop it about this uh, luxury issue. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, and then the last question is, is there any advice in boosting our immune system to fight COVID or are the measures the only things that we should uphold to prevent COVID? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is that, you know, one of the, the things is that, you know, certainly the, the priority now is to... Uh, uh, to prevent the COVID, that is that is number one. But of course, the immune system you can always do that. I mean, you know, uh, you it's very important uh, that the, the immunity uh, you boost it, and that means that eating very healthy food, I would say, ensuring yeah. that you do more physical activity, ensuring that you know, you know, just like the basic things that we take for granted, yeah. you know, ensuring that you know. Uh, unnecessary stresses, you need to take them out and then ensuring that, you know, um, the food that you eat, and I would say that, you know, uh, fruits, you know, nuts and all those things that actually can boost you, continue to do so. Yeah. But to say that, you know, to do on its own will not protect you. You need to add that together with the preventive measures, you know, wearing your mask, ensuring that you keep the social distancing, you know, keeping hygiene, particularly washing your hands and ensuring that, you know, if you have symptoms and others, you go up and check it out and then ensuring that you protect yourself and your loved ones. So it's a combination of many things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, I think uh, COVID has been highlighted a lot in our conversation um, and uh, time has is, is, is flown by just to know about your your journey with such an interesting uh, uh, place to also share with us and also to talk about this COVID uh, thing. Um, one thing that we always ask um, to all of our guests, um, if you could shortly share with us 
uh, one or two major lessons from out your journey in your particular career that you still take with you and you would love to share with with other people uh, out there? Well, thank you very much. I mean, there is uh, so many things that I can actually um, say about it. But I think that, you know, um, one of the things that I, for me, is what always, um, yeah, resonate with me very much is that, um, yeah, a couple of years, when I was very young, uh, I was doing a, a studies in, in rural Ghana. And we, um, we were measuring people's blood pressures and then sort of looking at the, uh, you know, and we came across this lady in a very rural Ghana. I'm not going to mention the, the name of the, of the village. But we, this lady came in, uh, you measure this lady's uh, blood pressure, and the, the machine could not read it. Okay. So you read it and read it. You try, you know, you were all very, very uh, worried what was going on. So in the end, you managed to measure this lady's blood pressure. And I keep on saying this story because it's something that st still sticks to my head. And this lady's blood pressure, it is historic. You know, in the blood pressure, you have the top one and you have the bottom one. The, the, the bottom one, if you have 140, then it means that you have a hypertension. This lady blood pressure, the top one, was about 230. Oh. So, so, I mean, if it has been in the Netherlands or here, you'll be having what you call the hypertension crisis, hypertension emergency, if you call it ambulance and, and others. Right. And this lady was sitting there. And then we ask her, I mean, you're all very surprised. And then we ask her, well, ask her, are you on medication? And then she said, yes. And then I asked her, which medication? And she said, well, she was on nephidipine, one of the blood pressure machine, uh, uh, yeah, tablets that you use to treat um, hypertension. So I asked her to bring that medication. She brought the medication and it's kind of a red, uh, those of you that are on hypertension might know it. And then medication came in, and the medication is broken into pieces. So the medication is broken into pieces. And, you know, some people might think that this lady is, um, you know, stupid. No, she's not. This lady is very, very poor. She's got a young people she's looking after. She needs to go to the farm. She has no money to buy the medication. So her thinking is that I've got this um, medication. If I break it into pieces, instead of taking me for 10 days, it will take me for 20 days. So this lady is thinking how to basically um, to prolong it so that she'll be able to, to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I said to myself that, you know, I, I was actually, I mean, I was so emotional at the time that I just couldn't um, just work it out. The point here is that, you know, there are so many people up there who are so desperate, so desperate to help themselves, but they cannot because of, say, poverty. So if you are sitting in the Netherlands or you're sitting in the US, sitting in the UK, and you have the doctor, you have the opportunity to have these medications, and you say you are not taking it, how do you say to this lady, 
Yeah. And this lady, if this lady doesn't take this medication, if he, she doesn't get it and in the end she's going to develop stroke, yeah. that means that she won't be able to go to work again. That means that the children who depends on this lady is going to go hungry. They won't be able to go to school again. So the point here I want to make here is that, you know, the work that we do, it is real. And therefore, you need to be very, very, uh, take things very seriously, because if you don't, the repercussion is, is huge, actually. So this story, for me, is, is, is still sticking in my head, and I still can see the lady. And I really hope that she's alive. So luckily, I um, sort of talked to people around it, and so that people could go and check on her. But for me, as a you know, scientist going there doing this work, I just do my work, give the policy, and they give it to the, the, the governments and hope that they will make something out of that. But there is so many people up there who are desperately need help. And if you do have this opportunity to be able to, even in some cases, you are lucky, you are, you know, pharmacists call you to, to come even to pick it up. Mm -hmm. If you don't take it, what else do you want me to, um, to say? Right. So this is one of the most uh, interesting um, things in my career. Yeah. That is still haunts me today. Um, and it's also making me appreciate how important it is to be human. You know, for my work that I do, as I said, I'm very outspoken. But deep down, I'm also very, very uh, down to earth. I just want to talk to anybody. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I even forget that I'm a professor, you know, um, because I, you know, professor is a title and others, but the deep down, what is matters is making a difference to people's lives, making sure that people are okay. And for me, you know, this is the, what keeps me going. It's not the, the fame, the fame I've achieved it. I mean, um, Charles Ajman, many, many people in the world know me, but that's not important to me. What is important right. to me is that how can we make a difference um, to ensure that everyone else is okay? Mm -hmm. And how do we ensure that, you know, we all go together as friends, as colleagues, and love each other? Right. And I think that's what actually keeps me going. And, yeah. and, and, and lastly, I would say that, you know, yeah, in terms of work, I would say that, you know, it is very important to have a vision. Yeah. And work very, very hard. And more importantly, sometimes many people think that they want to strike a, a, a million um, lottery before they become happy. No. Cherish the very small, very small things that you achieve in life. And for me, sometimes, for instance, if I get a paper published, I can even take a cup of tea and enjoy the moment. So cherish the small things that you achieve in life. Don't wait till you you become a millionaire, otherwise to be too late. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. I, we have to let that marinate, I think. <laughs> I think that's really the thing. Um, man, this, this was a good conversation. Um, I uh, would, would like to round up thanking you, uh, Professor Charles uh, Ajemai, for making time to be hanging out with us. Uh, you know, young as we are and maybe sometimes a bit straightforward with our mm. questions <laughs> mm. 
But uh, thank you for sharing all of the relevant information, uh, not just for um, not just for us, but you know, for the community as a whole. I really, really would like to thank you. Um, as we're uh, rounding up Africa in focus, um, I know we don't need no, any more people threatening you and haunting you. <laughs> but if they, if they would like to get in touch, how can they find you? Is there a place where you are? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, um, if you get, um, I mean, if you even go for um, how do I say internet, you put you put in there, Professor Charles Ajman, you will find me. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. But okay. what you can do is that you can also uh, my email address is c dot o dot Ajman, as you see here right. at Amsterdam UMC dot NL. Okay. I've written so that in the common box. Exactly. So c.o.archman Archman at Amsterdam UMC dot NL. All right. Or type it in, just go to the internet, type in uh, Professor Charles Archman. You will get so many information about me. Now right. I hide nowhere, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Professor, uh, for hanging out with us. We will be following up with you, of course, um, because this remains a topic that is important. And as, as long as COVID is going to be a thing, um, at least we know that your story, your journey, you know, as, as being a, a Ghanaian is very important uh, to us young people. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you and uh, for your time. And um, I would say have a good evening. Thank you so much, thank and you. thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Donnie. Well, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Such a good <laughs> here conversation. We are. Yeah, such a good conversation. Next week, I will share um, my thought on, you know, what I'm going to do with that vaccine. Because I know I told you, like, I'm going to wait it out. I mean, what if something mm -hmm. develops, you know? But um, mm -hmm. listening to this, brings it into a different perspective. Also catching up with Palgrave's story, who was actually a COVID survivor, you know, also yeah, brought it into perspective. Yeah, yeah. And um, just hearing from people that, you know, it's serious. It's not just your usual flu, you know, it's it's really that uh, serious. So that, that brings perspective to things. And um, it also helped me to filter out the whatever the conspiracy theory meant uh, to me, yep. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, any so, plans for this week? Um, no, just the regular usual. Um, yeah, week ahead of me. No okay. big plans, to be honest. Yeah. Thank right. you for listening to right. Africa on Focus. Yes. We well, air uh, for those every Sunday on High Radio from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time. Join the Africa on Focus platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Africa on Focus or visit www.africaonfocus.com. And follow me on all your social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Miss Allah. Shout out to High Radio and Q Vibe for the jingle. <laughs>